Hello everyone. Hello. My name is Shu. And welcome to the Shu Podcast. It is January 10th, 2019. Uh, we are 10 days into 2019. That's fucking fast, huh? That's real fast. It's already 10 days into 2019. We're already t- 10 days into the new year. Man, I'm gonna blink and it's gonna be fucking, you know, 3017. Um. I wish I could live that long. Well, think about it. Wait. Three thousand. Oh, there, of course, there's no way I'd be alive then. <laughs> Why did I even entertain the thought of being alive in the 3000s? Um, I don't know. It's the one thing I'm supposed to be good at numbers. And I can't even. Yeah, so what? I guess the, even optimistically speaking, the longest. The last year, you know, the late, it's 100 years from now, let's say, 80 years from now or something like that. So maybe if I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to see 2100, huh? I wonder what that's like. Fuck. I mean, that, you know, should change. Like, imagine going 100 years back to 1919, right? That's a fucking different universe. It's so different. They don't have iPhones and shit. I couldn't do that. And imagine going 100 years before that. It's, it's, everything's changed. It is weird to think that people who, you know, went through World War II and shit, which is like, it's so history that it's fucking like, you know, it's almost like classic modern history. Is it even modern history? I, I mean, I guess it is. It's still modern history, but you know. And those people are just fucking walking around. This might be the most fucking whippersnapper-esque thing I've said in a while. Um, but I'm young and dumb, so please forgive. It, it It's kind of... I realize I don't really talk to any adults in my life. I mean, other than my parents. And I don't really have any real conversations with them. I don't really have... Any kind of, uh, I don't talk about anything much with my mother, and I haven't spoken to my dad in, like, a couple months now. So, um, you know. Fuck. Uh, yeah, it's just, that it's weird to think that I just don't speak to any real adults. I guess, you know, I'm 23, I'm an adult, but I definitely don't feel like one. And, uh, I mostly just talk to people my age, you know? I mean, I guess th- those are adults... I'm I'm kind of just it's just that I still feel like a kid. I feel like a teen. But isn't really that the experience of growing up? You're just a kid the whole time and you realize, fuck, I'm fucking 40. I'm a teenage 40-year-old, you know? No? No one relates? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't have much to say, uh which is kind of, you know, becoming the default now. I used to want to like infuse the intro t- to this podcast with so much like you know so much humor and jazz and like um funny jokes like ad-libbing about random topics but you know i get somehow i get lazier by the day i'm just atrophying in terms terms of fucking i don't know my 
if, if lady laziness was like an ideal form, a platonic form or something, it's just I, I don't know. My my laziness is is expanding, and uh, my motivation is just uh, it's decaying as we speak. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the intro for today. <laughs> it's gonna be like this for at least the next few episodes until I figure out a way to I don't know consistently bring pull viewers in you know pull an audience in uh okay let's just get to the topic today's topic is as the title makes clear Heidegger versus Buddhism Heidegger versus Buddhism. Yeah, basically what happened was a few days ago, I finished this book that I think is at this point, maybe my one of my favorite books ever. Uh, it's up there with, it's, it's one of those books that I could fucking go back to again and again. I don't even really need to reread it because I can see myself going back to it again and again and again. Like uh, Sam Harris's Waking Up is like that for me. Um, Rollo May's The Meaning of Anxiety is like that for me. There are some books that... Uh, hit me so much and, and, and shaped how I see things and I don't know just it contains so much truth but in a way that's accessible and speaks to me uh, that uh, yeah they, they just can I can't not look at them again and again and that book um, that I recently read that I really 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 liked was David Loy's Lack and Transcendence and the book is basically a kind of uh, maybe like a Buddhist analysis of existentialism and psychoanalysis maybe it's more of a compare and contrast of buddhism existentialism and psychoanalysis and then so basically he, he goes through you know in a bunch of chapters explores a bunch of um uh you know psychoanalytic or existential thinkers and their philosophies and see what how it um relates to what the the, the kinds of things buddhism posits Right, the similarities, the connections, and the differences. Right, and uh, I don't know. I, I guess I, I loved it so much because I'm a fan of both existentialism and Buddhism as philosophies. And he was able to Loy, the writer David Loy, he was able to link up these ideas that you know had been floating in my head or that I'd absorbed from you know the respective um, uh, schools of thought, and uh, and then he, he kind of links them, you know. And I was oh shit, that's where this is connected or this is kind of the same thing as this oh this is like this but actually this other philosophy looks at it this way the opposite way or something like that it was just so interesting to see all these connections being made that you know I had never made before because my brain is weak um <laughs> yeah uh so it's, it's a great book it's um he goes through a bunch of uh thinkers thoughts but today I just wanted to go to through not even like a chapter half a chapter maybe of of the book uh, which is relatively short by the way it's like 300 pages or something like that it's not like super dense or anything um but yeah uh there's a chapter in lack and transcendence that's kind of focused on martin heidegger the german philosopher existentialist uh he was you know i guess biggest most active in the earliest 20th century um kind of notorious because he sort of aligned himself to some degree i don't know the nitty-gritty details but on some level aligned himself with the nazi party and uh you know i don't think he was 
at least from my uninformed point of view. I don't think he was, you know, a racist or anti-Semite, but probably, you know, he saw himself in the society and then made a strategic choice to join rather than uh, leave or do something else. And, uh, you know, it doesn't make it uh, more okay, right? But, uh, but yeah, so he has that association with the Nazis on some level. But my favorite existentialist philosopher, mostly because I hate Jews, but also... Because his uh, way of thought really uh, speaks to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love existentialism in general. But Heidegger really gets at things, I think, in a way that... Um... And by the way, I say this in... I've only read, like... Here, the, the two books we're going to be looking at today are David Lloyd's Lack and Transcendence and also Michael Watts's Heidegger, An Essential Guide for Complete Beginners, right? So that's what I read. Yeah, I, I've... I actually, in college, bought Being in Time, Heidegger's you know, kind of uh, big book. And I read a little and I was like, fuck, and I threw it away. I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's, it's way too hard. I mean, for, you know, even for seasoned philosophers, Heidegger is a challenge. So uh, yeah, I, I, it's not like I read Heidegger's writings and I was like, oh, so this is what he's saying. But then I think this about, no, I just read an intro book on him and I have a general idea of what he's saying, but clearly not an expert, right? Um, but still, I'm a huge fan of what people have interpreted him saying, as saying. And um, yeah, so what we're going to do today is kind of compare uh, these two philosophies, Heidegger's philosophy and Buddhism. Two of my, you know, some of my, uh, have, there are a lot of favorite ideas, ideas I like in, 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 in the two of them. And so we're going to compare and contrast. So here's going to be the kind of, uh, the, the structure, the outline for this podcast. We're going to start with a very brief, very simplistic summary of Martin Heidegger's kind of philosophy. Um, we're going to talk about his view of inauthentic being, inauthentic existence, and then authentic existence, right? And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, how he views the two differently and, you know, how he views how you should live life authentically. So we're going to talk, talk a little bit about Heidegger. And then we're going to go, go uh, on a separate note into Buddhism. And, and kind of the core idea, or at least the idea that's relevant here from Buddhism, which is the non-existence of the self, the fact that the self is an illusion, right? And um, as I get deeper into Buddhism, I'm going to kind of compare, start to compare and contrast Heidegger's thought and how it fits in from a Buddhist perspective. And hopefully, I, I'm not sending out here to give you a solution to the problems outlined in Heidegger and Buddhism's uh, philosophies. Um but maybe we'll touch on that a little bit too and wrap up everything in a little conclusion of sorts. So yeah, you know, the, the core thing here as with, you know, my only interest in philosophy, I don't really care. There, t You know, philosophy is huge, right? There's tons of philosophers out there I know nothing about. And a lot of them I've heard of, I know some of their ideas, but I'm don't, not interested in getting too deep into their ideas because I feel like it doesn't really connect to how I live my day-to-day -day life, right? But Heidegger's philosophy and Buddhism, for sure, um, you can apply it to, you know, and, and learn, oh, this is, you know, they're just ideas about how to live, right? How to live. Um, so, okay, let's get into it. Let's start with my, Martin Heidegger. Heidegger's philosophy, the great existentialist, kind of, I would say he's probably the big one after Kierkegaard. I think usually um, Schopenhauer or Kierkegaard, usually Kierkegaard considered the first uh, existentialist philosopher. And then I think the next big one is Heidegger. And then you get like a Sartre 
or uh, Simone de Beauvoir, or um, oh, there's Nietzsche. Nietzsche is before Heidegger. Okay, okay. So the third biggest uh, in terms of chronology. Okay, here we go. Heidegger's philosophy in a nutshell. Here we go. Two main types of being, modes of existence, according to Heidegger. You got authentic existence on the one hand and inauthentic existence on the other. You got authentic versus inauthentic. So let's start with inauthentic, okay? Inauthentic existence. What exactly is that? Well, according to Heidegger, most of the time we live inauthentically, or at least that's our default kind of state of being, mode of being, right? Usually we live as what Heidegger calls the they self, the they self. And when we live as the they self, we adopt the ways of the they. So who is the they? Well, they means, you know, other people, essentially, right? Society, um, your parents, friends, the people around you, your coworkers, your boss, um, other people, essentially, right? You know, our way of living aligns with the, you know, expectations and customs that society or other people provide for us, right? We kind of follow that guide, that template. Really, from the moment we're born, we tend to live as the they self. Essentially, you know, learning how to act and live and navigate this world from our parents at first, probably, and then maybe from their, you know, your friends in school, um, maybe other parents, you know, uh, you know, uh, parents of your friends, and 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 so on and so forth, and maybe you know, you can even say society more generally, right? Society. Um, and that, that that's you know that's a normal part of growing up. As I'll mention later, we gotta be socialized, right? And, you know, a, a good example of the day self would be you know when I start work from April. I, in a few months, I'm gonna start work, but I'm probably gonna be wearing a suit every day, right? Why? Because that's the expectation of the company of the day, so to speak. The world in the world of the day. You wear a suit, yeah? The only reason I wouldn't wear a suit is if the company expected me to wear informal clothing where the suit would be too much. So either way, I'm aligning with the ways of the day, right? Living as the day self, so to speak, right? And uh, one point to make here is that living as the day self, it encourages a kind of sameness, a sort of monotony. When we live as the day self, we essentially assimilate, yeah, minimizing our individualistic, you know, differences from other people, lest we be seen as, you know, weird or deviant or abnormal, right? This is say we conform. Conformity is at the heart of the day self, of inauthentic existence. Like, for instance, when I, you know, wear a suit to work, you know, the idea is that I, I look almost indistinguishable from every other Asian businessman uh, going to work, right? By wearing, you know, the, the uniform that society or the company says expects me to wear, I assimilate and, you know, there's a kind of sameness going on, right? So the day self is an important part of inauthentic existence. And then another concept called fallenness, okay? Fallenness also characterizes inauthentic existence. And what exactly does fallenness refer to? Well, in a state of fallingness, or in a state of falling, whichever, um, we're kind of absorbed with the shit right here that doesn't really matter with the practical matters of day-to-day life, with idle talk, with, with, with indifferent shit, 
Well, the things that don't really matter to you. So let me give you an example, because that, that kind of sounded a little vague and broad. For example, in a state of falling, talk becomes pretty empty and inauthentic, right? A classic example would be, you know, small talk or gossip, you know, chat about whatever, sports or politics or the shit that, you know, everyone else is talking about. You know, the kind of talk where you just kill time or you just say stuff to fill an awkward silence, right? It's empty. Neither of you really care about what's being said. Another example, in a state of falling, writing and reading becomes empty. You know, it's reading shit like or writing stuff like, uh, you know, tabloid stuff, tabloid news or kind of the popular fiction, you know, pop fiction. Things that you don't really care about that don't really touch on the essence of life, but, you know, help distract you, help kill the time. One big characteristic of fallenness, we just get caught up in the immediate, you know, practical matters of our day-to-day lives. Right? We think about, oh, the, the, I got to fucking make that deadline, right, uh, for work, you know, the tasks we have to finish. Oh, I got to fucking vacuum clean and then clean the dishes. We got to we focus entirely on the chores we have to do at home, you know. Um, we worry constantly about the views of our coworkers or you know, our place in the social hierarchy or the, you know, in the work culture. How do people think about me? Where do I fit in? You know, we were caught up in these like uh, minute day-to-day matters without really taking a step back and considering what is this all even about? Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? (laughs) What is life? You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Watts, the, the guy who wrote the intro to uh, Heidegger book, he, he puts it like this. In fallenness, one drifts along with the fads and trends of the crowd, caught up in the mindless busyness and tranquilized by the secure feeling that everyone else is doing the same thing. Fallenness is the non-awareness of what it means to be. Now, that sounds like a pretty, you know... Um, kind of like a condemnation of an authentic existence. And for sure that there is that, um, as we'll see. But fallenness in itself, you know, the they self in itself is not a problem, right? In fact, fallenness, a fundamental part of existence. In fact, Heidegger says, you know, there's kind of three, um, you know, what you might call it, prongs or three, three, three cores, three, three aspects to existence, uh, fallenness being one of them, and then authenticity, as we'll explore in a bit, and the other one being thrownness, which is, you know, thrownness being, we were just thrown into existence. We didn't choose to be born and where to be born, when to be born, uh, yeah, how to be born, to who, to which parents, to which, you know, conditions. Uh, we were just kind of thrown into the world and we work with what we're given, Right. But anyways, that's that's thrown this. Uh, the, the idea is that fallenness is a core part of existence as well. Why? Because we need to be socialized, right? That's part of growing up. To figure out your way around the world, you need these kind of, you know, a, a, a common social language or structure, you know, that allows us to connect to other people uh, for, for, for you and me to be on the same page, so to speak. We can't be completely, you know... Just blank. We have no idea how to connect. There's no common social. No, we need some kind of structure. We need to be socialized. That's important. So fallenness in itself is not a problem, right? Like I don't have really any qualms about having to wear a suit for work if that's you know what I have to do. Like, okay, <laughs> I don't feel like 
you know, the company's, you know, deadening my unique individuality as a human being or some shit. It's fine. I'll wear the fucking suit. It's all cool. <laughs> Fallenness itself, not the problem. But when we live purely as the they self, right, in a perennial state of fallenness, we become, as Heidegger himself puts it, blind to all our possibilities, right? Uh, Watts just mentioned, fallenness is the non-awareness of what it means to be. We are so concerned in in inauthentic existence with what occupies in the, us as in the present, and especially the, the, the shit that doesn't really matter in the present. And by the way, this is kind of a little bit wrong in my view, or at least in the in the Buddhist critique of it. Um, this is still very much future oriented, but according to Heidegger, um, fallenness is too focused in the present and doesn't focus as much on what is going to happen in the future. The thing that's coming in the future that's going to happen to every one of us and is inevitable, right? Maybe the only inevitable thing we can say for sure, right? Death and taxes, right? That's what people say. The one thing that's coming, death. For sure it's going to happen to you. But what happens when we actually face up to the truth that we will die? Right? We take a moment to step back from the fucking deadline, this Excel spreadsheet that I have to submit to my boss, and question, why am I doing this? Now let's move on to authentic existence, authenticity. So usually, uh, as mentioned, we, we recognize death as, as some fucking distant event that happens to some people. You know, I guess all people, but, you know, it's a distant event, kind of an actuality, but nothing, you don't feel it too personally, right? It's kind of a dry fact of life. This is what characterizes inauthentic ex- existence and how we view uh, death in that mode of being. But sometimes, every now and then, through an experience of existential boredom, or maybe more importantly, this feeling right now that you know most of the existentialists would agree on anxiety maybe through an experience of deep anxiety you realize that death is something that can happen to you at any moment that it is a real impending possibility right the idea is that all anxiety and all fear, really, too, um, which, you know, fear is really just anxiety uh, projected onto a specific object, or as Rollo May puts it. All anxiety and fear, really just expressions of a deep underlying anxiety about death. This is why anxiety is at the root of existence, why it's so damn crucial to our way of being, why it, and why it feels so uncomfortable. Because on some level, when we get anxious, we are confronting our own finitude. But when we stop trying to, you know, distract ourselves from it, from this creeping feeling we all have, when we finally just open up to it and let it flow, rush into our hearts, consume us, right? When we do that, we are thrust out of our default mode of being, living as the day self, wasting life away, you know, the way everybody else is and feeling secure in it because, you know, everyone else is doing it. 
In that moment, we wake up and we realize that we are, as Heidegger puts it, beings towards death. That is to say, we're, you know, an organism or embodiment of existence, of being, that's going to meet its end, right? This is all going to end someday. It could end now. So why are you wasting any time doing the things you hate? Fucking stop listening to this podcast and ask that girl out, you know? You begin to stop just mindlessly obeying the dictates of the world of the day, right? And live the way you really want to live. You know, you, you work on the, the life projects that you've always wanted to work on, right? Fucking, I, I always wanted to write that screenplay and finally I'm going to do it. Fuck this, I'm going to do it. You know, meet the people you always wanted to meet. You know, I, I always wanted to ask her out. I was always interested too, but it seems too risky. Everybody's told me I'm going to get rejected anyways. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. You know, and talk about the things we really want to talk about with people. Have, you know, there was real conversations, right? No more shit about fucking oh, the weather or like, oh, fuck Trump, right? You know, like, I mean, you know, not that you shouldn't talk about those things, but also the shit you really want to know. Don't just talk, you know, the thing is, don't talk about Trump just because everyone else is, right? Talk about it if you really want to talk about it. And if you don't want it, then fucking don't. Talk about, I don't know, some this shit that really interests you. And for me, I would recommend, like, feelings, right? Feelings. How are you feeling? How are people experiencing life? <laughs> so get into this, like, crescendo about feelings is siren going on so i realized you know i i live next to a hospital uh, hospital so uh you know uh, human misery is just like a few uh feet away just in well that's a place of saving lives so maybe i shouldn't call it that it is that is where salvation is i guess i don't know i, I feel like i should be reminded more frequently of death really if i'm hearing a sign every day but instead, I distract myself, you know, living purely as the day self uh, without examining my, uh, my, my, my death as a real possibility. Anyways, you know, this is all, all to say this, this life project, talking to people you want to talk to, meeting the people you really want to meet, uh, talking about the things you really want to talk about. All this is to say we stop conforming, right? We finally just stop conforming. Death, in other words, infuses life with meaning and, and, and depth. The irony of authentic existence is that by facing the possibility of death, we finally become alive. So that is really the the kind of uh, parallel or, or the um, contrast between authentic existence and inauthentic existence. That's a quick summary of Heidegger. And, you know, Heidegger's philosophy is bulkier, more complex. Not that, obviously, I know that much about it, but even reading the intro book, there's way more to it, right? There's more layers. But that's the crux of it. And uh, I hope, uh, you know, someday I do do a, an, uh, a podcast on, you know, expanding on his ideas. But anyway, that's the crux of it. Right. There's a reason why, you know, the existentialists in general and, you know, Heidegger, Heidegger in particular, in this case, is popular with teenagers and young adults. Right. The message he uh, 
kind of uh, propagates is something we desperately need to hear in this time of our lives when we're, you know, quote unquote, finding ourselves, right? This message that what underlies existence is anxiety about death and that awakening to the possibility of death as a real possibility that can hit you at any moment. That springs us in the direction of an authentic way of being. Okay, so that's Heidegger in a nutshell, okay? And we're going to now move on to Buddhism and explore a core idea of Buddhism that I want to kind of get into. And then uh, you might feel like, is this really related? But just bear with me because we're going to start to compare and contrast the two and see how Buddhism essentially acts as a corrective for some of the things that Heidegger misses. Okay, so let's move on to David Loy and his interpretation of Buddhism. And the core idea I'm going to explore here is that the self is an illusion. The self is an illusion. It does not exist. This ego, this ego self, an illusion, right? By default, we we generally have this this sense of self, right? This feeling of self, this feeling of this, you know, ego self entity called shoe being inside my head, you know, maybe, you know, perched, uh, you know, uh, behind my eyes, uh, looking out, to a world that's separate from me, right? There's this feeling that there's a kind of center to my consciousness, that there's a self who's kind of a mental CEO, so to speak, of my of my body and, you know, thinks my thoughts that lives inside my head, right? But this feeling of self that we all feel, it's just that, a feeling, right? In actuality, there is no inner shoe that thinks the thoughts in my head that's just you know living up in here like there's no shoe that was basically the same entity from the day shoe was born up to the present moment right this feeling of self is really strong but when you look closely you recognize that it is just a feeling and that there's nothing you can point at that's oh this is the uh, static concrete entity called the self or you can call it an evolving entity, but there's some kind of, you know, uh, sameness that's being posited, right? There's something there that's the same on some one level or another from the day you're born to now. But when you look closely at your experience of the world, hard to pinpoint that. You know, meditation is kind of a technique whereby you supposedly experience selflessness, egolessness, groundlessness, right? You see through the illusion. The, the, you recognize that the feeling of the self is just that, right? A feeling, right? You finally see the things as they actually are. But, you know, when I meditate, I'm a fucking bad meditator, right? I'm constantly lost in thought. I always feel like a self, right? I feel like Shu is focusing on the breath right now. Shu is listening to the siren right now. Shu is, you know, um, thinking about something, you know, perverted and getting a boner as we speak, you know, like that kind of thing is um, common in meditation, especially in the beginning, right? Like even in our language, we kind of necessitate the use of a sub- uh, of a subject, right? Uh, against an object, like, a, like an eye, right? It's weird when I say like, I have no self and you're like, wait, wait, but, but who's I? It's like, oh, okay, okay, you're right. Um, it's just, I mean, I have to say I because that's, you know, that's English. But then, then who's I? You know, it gets confusing. So maybe there is no self. That might be the better way to put it. But really, you know, hard to put in terms of language, right? That's kind of the nature of it. Of a lot of these things is that we can say all these things. But, but really, it's something to be experienced to see 
the way things actually are. But even me, who, you know, I can't say I experience egolessness on a day-to-day basis, right? Not at all. Even I can see that when I meditate, you know, when I essentially just observe my mind, right? That's that's the core of meditation, just observing your mind, observing your uh, conscious experience of life. You'll see that there's only flux, only change, right? Thoughts arise and evaporate. Feelings arise and evaporate. Sensations, smells, sounds, they arise and evaporate. There's nothing static or solid that I can really, you know, call, oh, this is the static concrete thing I can call the self. That, that just isn't there. There is only consciousness and its contents. And this is important because it, it contradicts one of Heidegger's um, core contentions, that the fundamental duality of existence is that of life versus death. Okay, and we're going to get a little bit deeper into Buddhism. Um, you know, we're just, uh, I don't know if we're just scratching the surface, but we'll get a little bit. We're going to expand a little bit more. But let me uh, make a point about one area of compare, uh, of, uh, I don't know, of comparison or difference between Heidegger's way of thought and Buddhism. Yeah. Heidegger's contention is that the fundamental duality we deal with is that of life versus death, right? Because we live inauthentically when we repress our awareness of, of death, when we see it's just some distant event, not something that we're gonna, you, you really feel is going to happen to you and could happen to you at any moment, right? But when we're aware of death as a real impending possibility, we live authentically, right? That deep anxiety about death, that's what wakes us up and makes us live authentically, according to Heidegger. But Loy, David Loy posits that the fundamental dualism we struggle with is not that of life versus death, but being versus nothingness, right? Sartre eventually goes on to correct for some of the things Heidegger says. Um, That's why his book is called Being and Nothingness, right? And hopefully I'll do a Sartre versus Buddhism comparison too, because that's really interesting as well. But anyways, being versus nothingness, what do I mean? Essentially, the existence of the self versus the non-existence of the self. Being versus non-being, right? There's the anxiety creeping under the surface that Heidegger uh, says is at root anxiety about death, that, you know, the self essentially will die someday. It's actually not that. It's rather the self is already dead or at least it never existed in the first place. There's nothing, you know, for, for to, to die because it's not there. No self that can be killed off. It's not there. There's just a feeling of self. That's it. Our ex- existential anxiety lies not in the fear of death, which is, you know, a kind of version of non-being delayed into the future, but it's a more immediate kind of non-being. It's the suspicion that I am not real, or at least as I conventionally, you know, know myself to be. Right? In a way, focusing on death, as Heidegger does, is kind of more comforting because it allows us to project the problem into the future, right? Death isn't something that's, as long as I'm consciously alive right now, death is in the future. But groundlessness, this egolessness, nothingness, that's happening right now. That's an 
even more anxiety-provoking prospect that this ego self you always known to be here is actually not there. It's the death of the ego self, or at least the feeling of the ego self, right? As Lloyd puts it, we are anxious because we intuit or dread our own lack of being. Now, you may say at this point, you know, all right, you know what? Like, I got kind of Heidegger's fear of death. Like, I can kind of get that. Yeah, okay, when I get anxious, maybe, yeah, deep down, you know, it's also an expression or embodiment of my anxiety about death. I kind of get that. But this shit about fear of groundlessness, of egolessness, what the fuck are you talking about? That's way too abstract. Like, I can't, there's not a cell in my body that can relate to what the fuck you're saying, you know? Fine, fine, fine. That's totally fair. But I think you can relate to a feeling that necessarily accompanies the feeling of self, right? There's a feeling that always is kind of, you know, um, together with, it, it, it always accompanies, necessarily accompanies the feeling of self. And that's the feeling of lack, the feeling of lack, right? We have this feeling of self, but because the self, as Buddhism uh, suggests, does not exist as a real concrete entity, the feeling of self is going to bring with it a feeling of lack, right? The feeling that somehow we're not whole, we're not complete, we're not real enough, at least not real enough yet, right? And most of us experience this feeling of lack as the dawning sense that, you know, there's kind of something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. I'm not happy or I'm not complete or I'm not there yet. You know, something's wrong with me as I am right now. Something's missing. And to fill in that lack, right, to satisfy that feeling of lack, to eradicate this feeling of lack and make ourselves, you know, feel happier or more complete someday, we embark on various projects, right? Like, for example, maybe I'm feeling like, fuck, I don't do fucking shit with my life. You know, that's not, that's not good. Something's missing right now. I need to do something. I need to do shit in my life because fuck, doing nothing right now, I feel, I feel this lack. <laughs> you know? I feel you know, something's missing. Something's wrong. I need to do something. But once I start a podcast and I get those podcasts going, I keep uploading it and I get into a habit of doing it. I'm going to be nourishing my mind with all these ideas and shit. Finally, I'll find a purpose. I'll become the real me. You know, the me I was always meant to be. I will finally satisfy this feeling of lack. They might say, oh yeah, that's stupid. Not Podcast ain't going to do that. Okay, fine. But you can, I'm pretty sure you can find something in your life that you're doing right now because you feel that it will satisfy this feeling inside of you that says, something's missing or it's not enough right now or I need to do something because there's something's not there some kind of lack right whether it comes in the form you know you try to fill in with you know the classic examples I guess are money or fame or romantic love you know like like having a girlfriend boyfriend whoever um or even you know the things we'd consider fulfilling projects right 
and this is where we're going to tie into Heidegger in just a bit. But we do all kinds of things to try to satisfy um, and dissolve this feeling of lack. As Loy puts it, uncomfortable with our sense of lack today, we look forward to the day in the future when we will finally feel truly alive. And this is what Heidegger misses. It's like, what? What are you talking about? Well, uh, let's get into it. Like, Heidegger's authentic existence, admittedly, like, for sure, hell of a lot better than inauthentic existence. But, upon further scrutiny, at least from a Buddhist perspective, both authentic existence and inauthentic existence fall into the same traps that causes so much suffering. Right? Like, Okay, let's first go on an inauthentic existence, right? Inauthentic existence, we engage in projects we don't care about, right? Talk about, uh, talk to people about things, you know, that we don't fucking care about because society says this is how you satisfy that feeling of lack, right? If you fit this template, fit this guide we've given you on how to become an adult, how to become a human being, how to be happy, if you do the things we say, you will fill in that feeling of lack. You will be happy. You will be satisfied. And so we follow that and have this feeling that I don't feel it any better. And authentic existence is uh, authentic existence is supposed to solve that problem, right? In authentic existence, you're freed from the, the, the fetters of social expectation, right? And you engage in projects you actually care about, right? And yet this too is our attempt to fill in that feeling of lack that perpetually haunts us. Right? If only I work on this screenplay, if only I find a girlfriend, if only I do, you know, whatever it is I've always really wanted to do, I will become what I was meant to be. I will become whole. It's an understandable feeling. I think all of us feel it. Every moment of our lives almost. Right? We can imagine though, like somebody following this authentic existence existence path that Heidegger um lays out for us. We can imagine, as Lloyd puts it, um, a person so driven by his life project that he never is where he is because he is always hurrying somewhere else, right? That's to say, in the case of, the, of authentic existence, yes, that life project that the person is embarking on, you know, engaging in, that was chosen by the person. It wasn't just gift given to him, forced onto him by society, right? Not assigned to him by the society at large, but it's still kind of a never-ending chase, right? And an effort to fill in that sense of lack. Lloyd says life becomes the futile project of trying to make ourselves real in one way or another. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, okay, fine. I guess authentic existence does fall into a similar kind of trap. But is that so bad? I mean, he's choosing the things he always wanted to do. Isn't that motivation? That sense of lack, that, that that's motivation. Is it be, be, you know, so bad to be motivated to do the projects we care about because we feel this lack? Like we feel like we lack something right now? I think Lloyd would say yeah. And I probably would too. Why? Because this feeling of lack will never go away as long as there's a feeling of self. Right? We're trying to do the impossible here. Make something that never existed into something real. 
right? The, the feeling of lack can never be filled in by whatever money or fame or a girlfriend or a fulfilling project or whatever, because the feeling of lack is our intuition, basically, that we don't exist. And the truth is, according to Buddhism, we don't, right? The self is an illusion. So no matter, no matter what you do, you're not going to be make, able to make that self real. It's just a feeling. And that's where that feeling of lack ultimately stems from. Now, to be fair to Heidegger, he knew this. Heidegger on some level knew this, right? He called, you know, uh, the, the human project of, of being, of actualizing yourself, you know, becoming one's own ground, right? Actualizing yourself, realizing yourself, right? That's making yourself real, realizing yourself, right? Heidegger saw this. As Lloyd puts it, Heidegger says, we must try to become, but ultimately never become our own ground. He recognized this, but the only thing is that Heidegger saw this feeling of lack basically as an innate part of existence, right? It's a given, a fixed part of being, something we just have to work with and deal with, right? Heidegger says, yeah, yeah, that's there, but honestly, can't do much about it. And authentic existence is a better way of dealing with that feeling than inauthentic existence. But Buddhism disagrees, right? Unlike Heidegger, Buddhism doesn't contend that this feeling of lack can never, ever be extinguished. It can. But you also have to let go of your sense of self. Right? You can extinguish this feeling of lack as long as we observe things accurately, see the world as it is, and recognize that there's nothing there that we can call a self. How do we do that? mindfulness meditation at least according to buddhism that's the way you see things observe things as they actually are now um so that's kind of the compare and contrast of heidegger and buddhism and so i'll I'll wrap things up in a bit but i just want to hit on one point which is Maybe the Buddhist, you know, I feel like I was able to articulate Heidegger's um, theories pretty understandably. Maybe the Buddhist stuff was a little bit more difficult uh, for me to articulate too, you know, and, and a little bit more difficult to digest, right? Like if you're confused by the non-existence of the self and shit, like you're not alone. So am I, right? Like clearly, as I said before, I don't experience groundlessness, egolessness on a day-to-day basis, right? I almost always feel like a self, right? I'm almost always suffering on some level as a day to, on a day-to-day basis uh, because of it, right? I'm perpetually lost in thought and I perpetually identify with my thoughts, right? And although I find this, you know, uh, Buddhist picture of groundlessness to be a very compelling account of the human condition, if you challenge me hard on it, like there is a self, there is a self, there is a self, honestly, I'm going to be like, okay, dude, I'm honestly not the one to ask, right? Read... You know, Sam Harris or a book on mindfulness or, you know, an intro to Buddhism book or some shit. And then make your mind up from there. Because I'm not an expert. In fact, I do this podcast to learn, right? But here's one thing I think we can say, which is that both Heidegger and Buddhism have much wisdom to offer, offer to us, right? Although I do think that Buddhism corrects for what Heidegger misses, but Fuck, I, I love Heidegger. Also, you know, one thing to note here, Heidegger and Buddhism, they also have a lot of parallels, right? I'm sure there's tons of essays and studies done 
on the similarities between Heidegger and Buddhism. The one that fucking, uh, uh, you know, scratches, you know, it comes out of my head is the Heidegger has the concept of being in the world, right? That we are inseparable from the world around us, right? That we are essentially, he posits a kind of oneness, right? And, and this kind of subject-object duality that we constantly, you know, are... Uh, view as the way the world actually is, is wrong. We are beings in the world. And that's the way Buddhism sees things, right? We are part and parcel of everything uh, around us, right? This idea that we divide, you know, I am separate from the world around me. No, we are the same. This is all being. But anyways, the this besides the point. My, my point of this is that Heidegger and Buddhism share a lot of things in terms of philosophy, but they also differ in important ways. So let's see, let's get at what I think Heidegger really gets right, which is Heidegger points out that anxiety shouldn't be numbed out of consciousness, you know, discarded or, you know, viewed as a defect in our personality, right? Like when you see somebody with an anxiety disorder, n- n- nothing, you know, truly wrong with them. It's not like, fuck, oh, there's a broken bone or some shit like that. No, no, no. Anxiety is a wake-up call to live our lives the way we genuinely want to. Rather than fucking mindlessly filling up the time with things that never matter to us like many, many, many people do. In fact, some of the most well-adjusted people who don't experience anxiety are maybe the, the fucking archetypal uh, uh, people that they live... Uh, you know, the inauthentic way of being that Heidegger would characterize as living inauthentically, right? Um, right. The, the difference between doing something because you want to and then doing that same thing because, you know, you're, you're, it'll make your mom happy only because it'll make your mom happy. That's a world's difference, right? Like, let's, let's be clear. Moving from inauthentic existence to authentic existence, your, the external shit, your behavior doesn't really necessarily have to change. You can go from being a lawyer to being a lawyer. But the reason why you want to be a lawyer, right? How you relate to the things you're doing, that's what changes and that's what's important, right? You're no longer doing a, being a lawyer because, you know, of the, uh, simply because of the social status or, uh, you know, uh, you know, you want to make more and more money to uh, essentially, I don't know, fill that feel that lack essentially right or whatever you you're, you you want or maybe because your parents expected you to all the rather than these reasons you go and shift it towards oh this is something i just genuinely enjoy doing and that makes the, the all the difference right it, it's the kind of message that when unheeded as a young adult you know, leads to the you know the classic you know midlife crisis so to speak not that you know living it, uh, authentically will help you avert that midlife crisis. But, you know, it, I think it's true to say that that's kind of a classic thing we see. Yet, if we run on the path of authenticity as laid out by Heidegger, we'll always be haunted by the feeling that something's not right. That no matter what you do, it's not enough. The weird thing about the freedom of authenticity that you get when you're no longer obeying by uh, society is that you know, you're still doing things to satisfy your desire to whatever, quell the feeling of lack, right? You're still kind of abiding by your desires. And that doesn't really sound like real freedom, does it? I mean, as Eric Dodson, the, my favorite YouTuber, puts it, the whole structure of making choices according to our desires 
is really another way of being enslaved to our desires. Basically just another way of living out our attachments and cravings, which is really the ultimate source of misery in our lives. Buddhism, the optimistic, hopeful thing about Buddhism is that it reassures us that there's a way out. You don't, this, you know, feeling of lack is not a built-in part of your existence. There's a way out. But there's a price you have to pay, and that is you must let go of really basically everything you knew about yourself, right? <laughs> the, the, the idea, though, is that this, this feeling of lack, as well as the experience of anxiety, not a built-in fixed part of existence, but a consequence of clinging to our feeling of self. So again, nobody's saying don't engage in life projects or try to find a girlfriend or all this shit, right? Obviously. Like, Buddhism doesn't demand asceticism or some shit. Like, in fact, the Buddha tried asceticism and he was like, nope, this is clearly not the answer. Right? Engage in those projects. Again, going from inauthentic to authentic existence. You could be a lawyer, you could go from authentic to, you know, that Buddhist way of, of being and, and, and you could, st- and nothing externally could change, right? So they engage in those projects. But recognize that they won't ever fully satisfy that feeling of lack. You know, this, this lack anxiety, if that's why you're doing it, right? You just do it just to do it. And nothing more. You know, bring, Buddhism essentially brings the future-oriented way of living prescri- prescribed by Heidegger back to the present moment, right? Either way, an inauthentic or authentic existence, although Heidegger says that inauthentic existence is preoccupied with the present, really both are ways of responding to the future, a future uh, event, which is death. Inauthentic existence uh, represses that awareness. Authentic existence uh, becomes fully aware of the impending possibility of death. But both ways, it's oriented on an event in the future, But Buddhism says, no, 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 no. Hold up, let's bring it back to the present moment. To what's happening right here, right now. Right? You can keep chasing stuff in the future and hope that when you attain this or that, it will satisfy how you're feeling right now. You know, constantly chasing things so that we can get rid of this feeling of lack that's happening right here. But this moment, right? Right now, this moment, this. Like what you're experiencing as I speak, right? This moment right now, is all you have. Nobody's, you know, there was a quote that's, I'm going to fucking butcher this, but there's a quote that's like, nobody has, you know, lived in the past or been to the future. I'm fucking it up. It sounded way deeper than that. But the point is that it is always now. This present moment, it's all we have. And it's all we've ever had. But anyway, that gets to, you know, the Buddhist Buddhist view of, you know, of time and, and shit like that. So that's not what I want to get into today. Uh, <laughs> it's super confusing for me, too. Anyway, the point is, though, um, I feel like I, I, I kind of gave in, you know, I gave you an analysis of the problem about this feeling of lack and shit. And then I kind of was like, and the answer is mindfulness meditation by which, you know, I there's I want to do a deep dive on mindfulness meditation um, at some point. But 
yeah, you know what? That's that's. I think that should be coming soon. I I hope I do that because, uh, yeah, it's important. And fucking, I I gave this whole you know, uh, description of the problem without really outlining the solution. And partially because the solution, it's you know, I'm I'm also learning as we speak. I'm I'm a newbie when it comes to meditation, but I'm trying it. You know, um, but yeah, I think this whole idea about the feeling of lack, right, which gets expressed for most of us as a kind of creeping feeling that there's something wrong with us, that we're not enough, that we need to do something in order to quell this feeling that there's something wrong, that there's something missing, is relatable. Yeah, but that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, maybe I will do a mindfulness meditation thing. on. I'm reading a book by Chogyam Trungpa right now which is, uh, the book I'm reading right now is kind of a little bit boring. I'm not going to lie. It's called The Myth of Freedom. And I thought it'd be good, but it's okay. But but I read a book a, a couple of weeks ago on uh, that he wrote called this, uh, it called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism or some shit like that. That was good. So maybe um, I'll do a mindfulness meditation podcast um, based on that. The book kind of outlines, you know, the, what do you call it? Mental traps we fall into. Uh, when we begin meditating. So maybe I'll do something about that, but maybe not. Maybe I'll just, we'll see what happens, okay? Stop fucking telling me what to do. God. Inauthentic mode of being. (laughs) Yeah, I I hope this was not too complicated. Um, I try to make it as understandable as possible because that's always the goal. And I want to make it as understandable as possible to myself too, right? Like, ultimately, these things shouldn't have to be accessible, you know? Like, I feel like people should fucking teach philosophy and psychology in school. Not just college, but, like, you know, it should be a, you know, part of the curriculum or some shit. Maybe that would, you know, suck the life out of philosophy and stuff, but I don't know. It's important. It doesn't have to be called philosophy. It could just be, like, the class on life or some shit like that. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Maybe that's a bad idea, too. Um, yeah, that's it for me. I hope that... I, I You know what? I'm feeling that feeling of lack very deeply right now as I finish this podcast. I don't know if I... It was understandable if we had a point, but uh, yeah. Whatever. Isn't that the nature of being, according to Heidegger? Okay, let's, 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 uh, let's end this podcast. Please have a great one, everybody. Bye.